I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest blends science and spirituality into practical tools for living an enlightened life. Jackie Nectel is an international speaker, a coach, a pioneer in the area of flow. That's an area I'm really interested in. And she's the co-founder of the Flow Consciousness Institute. Jackie, thank you so much for being with me. I will have to start with a very clear question, to be honest. Flow consciousness, like that's an incredible brand. This is like coffee and chocolate to me. (laughs) Does it get better than that? Two of my favorite things. Like seriously, I mean, coffee alone is amazing. Flow is like great. Consciousness alone is great. (laughs) But you put coffee and chocolate together and then life is amazing. Is that a brand or is that a concept? How did you come up with this name? Yeah, um, well, I guess it's both. And we weren't really thinking of it as a brand when it came to us. So I have a a business partner, Justin Fairman, and he and I have both been deep down this personal development, spirituality rabbit hole for many, many years. And independently, we'd come to these ideas and concepts. And then through a miraculous connection, we were introduced. And when we met, it was just instant soul recognition and the understanding that this was all divinely orchestrated so that we can bring this work into the world. So for me, the idea of flow was something that I came to when I was in a career transition. I was previously an autism specialist and I I spent many years working with special needs children. And then As I shifted into the transformational coaching space, I was looking for where the synergy and the overlap between those careers was. And I had been coaching in Chile on a tech incubator, and I was basically working with some of the adult versions of the kids that I worked with. Oh, yeah. I became fascinated by these engineers and programmers that had this hyper ability to focus and create and go into a coding hole where they forget to emerge from the basement to eat to shower to you know they just seem to disappear i know that world i know <laughs> i know it well and it was just so fascinating to me and so i was wanting to support them well one because what they were doing with 3d printing and and all of these exponential technologies was fascinating And two, because my gift is emotional intelligence and relational capacity. So I thought, here, I can bring my gifts to them, but also learn from their unique brilliance and their systems thinking and productivity and this hyper focus. I was like, wow, I could use some of that because I'm, I don't know if you know the Enneagram I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which I'm a novelty seeker, kind of like squirrel, <laughs> you know, just get <laughs> distracted really easily. And so I thought it would be great to have some of their hyper focus. And this idea, I was actually living in the Middle East at the time, came to me, this idea of flow. And 
you know, it was just a something that I, I heard in my mind, this kind of clairaudient drop-in download, if you will. And I couldn't shake it. So I started to research it and I started reading me high chick set me high's work and yeah. getting into this notion of flow states. And I found it really fascinating because I've had so many of those experiences where time seemed to stand still and being in that expanded creativity. But I felt like there was something missing from that work. And I felt that I was living in a perpetual flow state. Hold on. So let's define flow for everyone who's listening. So those flow states, as per Chekset Mihai, great book, by the way, for all listening, uh, flow is a great book. So let's define that. What is flow? What is that flow state? So I'm going to make a distinction between flow state and flow consciousness, because flow states by their very nature are inherently temporary right? It's a state of peak performance of non-ordinary state of consciousness. So after a peak, there's always a valley and you can't sustain a flow state by the definition. Whereas flow consciousness is more aligned with the Tao or Zen philosophy. And it's really, it's a way of being. And we talk about it as a stage model of psycho-spiritual development that the more work you do, the more inner reprogramming that you do, the more healing you do of your traumas, your limiting beliefs, your emotional patterns, the more you learn to operate from intuition, the more you shift into this advanced stage of being in this expanded awareness and this higher consciousness. And that becomes your default way of being. And so you're- Constant flow. Right. So you're living in this place where Life is conspiring in your favor. You're experiencing exponential growth. You have synchronicities all the time. So life has oh, that like. magical quality. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's really the path to emotional freedom and being in this place where you can radically surrender and trust life and be with the challenges that you're facing and know that everything is happening for you, for your evolution and your growth and for the highest good. So flow consciousness is a, a way of being rather than a temporary experience. Now there is overlap. There's definitely you experience more flow states when you're living in flow consciousness. So there's a continuum of the flow experience. And so they're not unrelated, but there is a, a critical distinction there. There are so many gold nuggets we have to uncover here, right? And I keep taking notes to come back to them. But let's start from this. I'm not a stranger to flow. I'm like one of those developers you had in Chile. I have the ability of focusing for hours and hours and I wouldn't feel the time. And, you know, it's just very natural to me. I think I may have been on that, close to that autism spectrum in my life myself, but that's not the topic. So when in flow, just for those who are listening, you're completely absorbed into the task that you're doing to the point where you are so focused that you start to perform to brilliance, right? So, you know, musicians or tennis players cannot be thinking like we think when we're taking the tram somewhere. If you start to think that way, you're not in full optimum performance, right? And that flow has been taken into business and into arts and into sports and so on, and has been a big deal because we can do so much more when we're in flow. Now, on the other hand, I've been investigating for like the last five and a half years of my life, the idea of flow as in going with life. As life takes you a little bit to the right, 
we're trained as professionals to push and say, no, 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 hold on, I want to be here, right? But then sometimes flow does amazing things to us. It's like if you're in white water rafting, you may want to direct your boat a little bit to the left or the right, but you're not really interested in going upstream, right? You're not supposed to be opposing life to that much. You're saying you can combine those two so that you can flow with life, but at the same time, you're at ultimate optimum performance all the time. Yes. Now that is interesting. And you say practical tools. Now, how do we do that? So the thing is, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I love that you use this rafting analogy because I love whitewater rafting and and really flow is the path of least resistance. And so it's being in that place where you're so in alignment that life feels effortless and all of the resources you want and need to thrive come to you effortlessly and in perfect synchronicity. And you're not having to hustle and grind and push and struggle. And when you're rafting, I've been through some class four and even five rapids in Costa Rica, and it was the most thrilling and also the most terrifying thing that I've ever experienced. And at one point we hit these rapids and our guide flew from the back of the raft practically into my lap in the front and, you know, caught air and it was, it was wild. And the thing is they tell you when you're rafting, like if you fall out to just put your feet up and go with it. And if you're, struggling and trying to swim upstream and get to shore and grab onto rocks or hold onto branches and things, that's when you're in danger. And I also want to make a distinction that when you're living in flow, it doesn't mean you're never going to face challenges or obstacles. You know, in fact, before we started recording this, I was sharing with you some of the things that are happening in my life. Share them again, please. I think they're very valid examples if you're open to Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I've lost three friends this week alone. Three young, inspiring, luminary, visionary men have transitioned from this plane. And I'm also facing mold in my apartment. So having to leave abruptly and pack and move in a pandemic and had a nightmare of an Airbnb situation. And the thing is, you're always going to have challenges in life. It's the struggle and suffering that are optional. And the more we're able to rest in flow consciousness, we have this ability to really let go of control and start to trust life and trust ourselves, trust our intuition, trust others, and know that everything, even though on the surface, it might seem like it's not working out. And this is super critical for people to get, especially in this whole pandemic situation. It may seem like things aren't working and everything's going to hell in a handbasket and the world is falling apart, but life is always conspiring in our favor. And that can be a really tough thing for people to process and to understand. This is a big statement, uh, Jackie. I have to clarify a little bit here. So how can mold be conspiring in your favor? How can moving in a pandemic be conspiring in your favor? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, When I moved into this apartment, I basically overrode my intuition. I make all of my decisions from intuition. And this one I knew was an intuitional no to live here. And I said yes anyway, because I was trying to live with a friend and I was about to travel for months and I I really just needed a place to go because my other lease had ended. 
And so since I moved in here, it's been one thing after another, just not my ideal conditions to thrive, my desired living situation. And I thought I had someone who was going to take over my lease in January and that fell through. And then the pandemic hit. I thought, well, how am I going to get out of my lease in a pandemic now? And then the mold happened. And so that's the only way that I could have been able to break my lease early, get out without having to find a replacement, which I imagine in a crisis situation with this virus, people aren't going to want to be moving into a place doesn't feel safe. And so I was able to break my lease and now I get to move to something that feels more like where I want to be. You spoke about death, death of friends. And I know for a lot of people, this becomes really difficult to reconcile. It's like, how can death be life conspiring in my favor? And I think it's interesting because it can be. So in my personal story, you and I wouldn't be speaking today. I wouldn't be focused on the topic of happiness. I wouldn't be connecting with so many amazing people if I didn't suffer the loss of my wonderful child. And of course, if you combine that with an understanding of what death really is, I didn't lose my wonderful child. I just separated from his physical form for a while. I'm no longer connected to my wonderful child in the typical way that I was used to connect to him for 21 years. What's beyond that is something that's maybe the topic of another podcast. I know death has been a big part of your story too. So would you be open to share a little bit Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, death has been my greatest teacher in this lifetime. And like you, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if death hadn't been a part of my story. And in 2009, I lost my younger brother to a drug overdose. And he was 28 years old. And at the time, it completely rocked my world. And I was devastated. And it was the most traumatic thing that I'd ever experienced. And at the time, I was working with children with autism. And I threw myself into my work because I didn't know what else to do. But then I had a moment where in this reflection on my mortality and really seeing these unhealthy patterns that I had of caretaking and growing up in a family with a lot of addiction, I had a lot of codependency and put everyone else's needs before my own. And I decided that for the first time I was going to prioritize myself. And I ended up walking away from my life as I knew it in New York and leaving a really successful career, leaving the children that I loved so much and felt so connected to them and their families and their progress and um, leaving my grieving family and basically everything that I loved to finally live my dream of traveling the world. And I did a year circumnavigating the Southern Hemisphere. And, and that was really my hero's journey. I'd already been deep into personal development and exploring Eastern wisdom and had been doing a lot of inner work prior to that. But this journey itself was really what allowed me to connect to my intuition, to really surrender to life. I was a bit of a control freak before. So really learning, especially in traveling and developing nations, you really don't have much oh, yeah. choice but to learn to really let go. So this journey, ultimately in preparation to climb Kilimanjaro, I ended up at a retreat in Australia on the Sunshine Coast in a tiny town called Mulaney, where 
I decided that I needed to go and detox and train for a few weeks to get into the right headspace. And, you know, at that point, I'd been nine months into a trip. So I wasn't really feeling physically prepared, or even mentally, emotionally prepared to climb a mountain. So I sought out this retreat. And that retreat completely changed my life and shattered my worldviews and perspectives and pushed me and challenged me and triggered me in ways that I was so angry at first. But I knew when I get triggered that there's something there for me. And I decided to abandon any physical training and just go all into the mindset work. And I studied mindfulness and I did guided hypnotic regressions and worked with a coach and and really just completely shifted my perceptions on everything. And then since then, we just continued on this journey of unraveling the self and deprogramming and deconditioning all of these layers of trauma and limiting beliefs and emotional patterns and getting ultimately to this place of emotional freedom and this place in my life where I was consistently and reliably creating the reality that I wanted and you know, things would manifest that I, I said that were so absurd, but they would just happen. And so people started to ask me how I was living this way. And I didn't really know because I've developed this unconscious competence, but then I hired a mentor to help me tease out the distinctions and take it to a level of mastery that I could then teach other people. And so ultimately it was my brother's death that gave me a new lease on life and to really set me free from these ancestral patterns in my lineage and to impact the lives of people all over the world and set them free from their struggle and their challenges. And so his death was in service to my life and to the greater good of anyone whose life that I get to impact. But it doesn't make it any easier, does it? Um, Now it does. Initially, I had to go through a lot of deep emotional processing. And I'm not going to say that that's entirely clear. And, you know, I, I had a powerful medicine journey last year where I released new levels of grief that I didn't even know I had repressed and suppressed. And in this experience that I was sharing with you prior to the call, some unresolved trauma came up through that experience. But I know that that experience happened for me to realize that that trauma was still in my nervous system, in my physicality, that it's now an opportunity because I have the tools, I have the awareness, I get to work through that and set myself free and clear out the gunk and the density that's holding me back in ways that I don't even know. And so every time that I get triggered or something comes up for me, I see it as an opportunity to move through something that's going to ultimately create space for more love, more joy, more freedom, more bliss, more flow. And while the situation might be difficult and challenging, and yeah, I shared that I just lost three friends this week. How do you deal with that? You know, in the past, my strategy was to numb out, to distract myself, to be busy, to throw myself into my work, to do whatever compulsive behaviors would give me relief at the time. But ultimately, I just buried the pain because I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the awareness. But now I sit with it. I 
use the breath, do breath work and these different processes to work with it and actually move the energy. And that's the thing is most people are afraid to feel and we need to feel to heal. And that's the only key to moving through these things is to actually being with the pain and being with the suffering and being with the sadness. And yes, I totally have that same multidimensional understanding that yes, these men, my brother, they're all in infinite bliss now. Like I've had an embodied experience of what I know to be my true nature and what's awaiting me on the other side of this physical form. And that allows me to not fear death. That doesn't mean I'm ready to die. And that doesn't mean if I get sick or something, I'm not going to feel scared. I have this deep embodied awareness and understanding of my true nature as an infinite limitless being and as pure spirit. And at the same time, sometimes it just sucks. Excuse my language, but it's just being with the humanity, the human aspect of me that while I have that awareness, I still am missing the connection that I had with these people or the imagined future that I had with these people and whatever it is, the loss of the light that they brought to the world. And it's important for us not to spiritually bypass the difficulty and the challenge and the suffering in it, because that's how we get stuck in it. So being able to really be with it and move it and process it is where the freedom is. So I totally am with you on this. And, and I think that a lot of people will know that, but I think some of our listeners will get lost a bit here. So I'm going to ask the tough question, Jackie. And the tough question here seems to be, you're saying flow consciousness allows us to invite into our life what we need to make our life the best it can be. But at the same time, we're constantly being hit with those negativities. We lose people that we love. We you get stuck in apartments we don't like. We go out of them for a couple of weeks and we get in the wrong Airbnb and so on and so forth. So in a way, how can that be inviting what we want into our life? Isn't that basically saying, let's just accept life as it is and it's fine. It's just going to flow. Well, in a way, yes, because everything is our perception. We live in a subjective reality. There is no objective reality. So we're always making meaning of things. And just saying that something is negative is a value judgment and choosing to say that this is a negative experience where my experience of death has been expansion in a way. And, you know, now I've come to the understanding that I can have gratitude for my brother's passing because it gave me life and is giving the impact that I have on the world. So who's to say that's a negative experience? And it hasn't taken away anything from his path. This is his path. Exactly. Well, and that's where the challenge comes in for people is because they have the perception that it shouldn't have happened. Even with these young men that passed this week, just seeing the comments, everyone said they died too young. And it's like, who says? Who says that that wasn't the contract that they were here to fulfill? Who says yeah. that they don't have some other purpose that they're moving on to? You know, it's our perception that they should still be here. They died too young. That's what creates struggle and suffering. But when we accept reality as is, because that's what's happening, that's when we find the freedom. 
So there is, however, a very, very thin line because I think it's almost art to accept reality as it is, almost to welcome reality as it is, and so reach freedom and suppress reality and say, okay, okay, I'm just going to live with it. You know, it's fine. But then that's when you get those trapped emotions and trapped traumas. And that fine line between them is it's actually very difficult to explain. I know if you've experienced it once, you understand what it is. But it's very different to explain in words, isn't it? Well, and surrender is not complacency. Coming to a place of acceptance is actually the power position because then you have the power to make change. So when you're in resistance, that's what keeps things stuck. When you can come to a place of, okay, this is happening. How do I know it's meant to be happening? Well, because it is. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Why argue with it? Because that's what's showing up. But what can you do from the place of being in the powerful creator mindset rather than the victim. So when you're in this creator consciousness, you realize your past circumstances don't dictate your future. If it's unexamined, you will just coast right on into a default future that's pretty predictable. But when you're coming from the future that you want to create and you're in acceptance of what's showing up, finding how this could be happening for you and not to you, that gives you power. It gives you agency. You get to then make choices that are going to align you with a path of more flow. But when you just resign yourself to the fact like, oh, these things that I perceive as are happening to me, and then we make up meaning about that. So if all of these things, these quote unquote bad things are happening to me, then it must be because I'm a bad person or I'm not worthy and I'm not deserving and all of these things. So it's really coming to the understanding that our beliefs and our perceptions are how we create our experience of our reality. And it's not to say we're creating all of the bad things that happen. This isn't saying you're a vibrational match for these bad things. It's saying your perspective, you are always in a position to choose a perception about what's happening. And you can choose to see it as positive or negative, good or bad, right or wrong. But the reality is everything just is. And you're giving it a meaning. And that meaning is going to either engender more flow or create more suffering. So for example, in flow consciousness, we use a framework called BETDAR. That's B-E-T-D-A-R. And it stands for beliefs, emotions, thoughts, decisions, actions, and results or reality. And the idea is that our reality is a a feedback mechanism. We get to look at what's happening in our life and see what are these beliefs and perceptions that are at the root of what's happening. So for example, if I have a belief that the world is a dangerous place, that belief is going to create an emotional response. What kind of response do you think that's going to create? It's going to make me afraid of everything and take actions that are always assuming that everything's going to go wrong. Right. Or other people are going to hurt you, not trusting people, not taking risks, not putting yourself in novel situations, not traveling, not exploring other cultures and people that are different than you. That belief alone will create that whole emotional response which will then influence the thoughts that you think, which will be a reflection of those emotions. So you're going to have more paranoid thoughts, more mistrusting thoughts, and that will dictate the actions that you're going to take and ultimately the results that you get, which is a more narrow 
experience of reality and one where you're really rooted in fear and mistrust. Whereas on the flip side, if you believe the world is a safe place, that'll create a different emotional reality. You'll feel free and you'll feel trusting and open and you'll put yourself in new situations and take more risks and have a broader experience of life. Now, which is true. Is the world a safe place? Maybe. Is the world a dangerous place? I could find a lot of evidence to support either one of those. So if I turn on the news at any given moment, I will be bombarded with all of the terrible things that are happening all over the world. You know, if I read any of the travel advisories, I will probably never leave my house. So there's a lot of evidence that backs that up. I've also traveled to over 70 countries, mostly by myself, a lot of them deemed unsafe for women. I lived in Saudi Arabia. There's so many different things that I had in my actual lived experience that prove and support that the world is a safe place and people are generally good and want to help. So both realities exist. You choose one of them and you make it real. Which one are you going to choose? And if you're smart enough, which one should you choose? Which one should you create? Exactly. And so we have confirmation bias, this phenomenon of confirmation bias. And our brains are really powerful and they're wired in such a way that they're constantly filtering and sorting the billions of bits of data that are coming every second in a way that sorts and deletes and organizes things according to what we already believe. And it's very useful because otherwise we'd have to relearn everything all the time and then we'd never get anything done. However, it's going to match the beliefs that we already have. And often those were beliefs that were formed and imprinted in a distorted way before we had cognition, before we had a higher understanding of what was actually happening. They're formed and imprinted in this birth to seven age range when we're interpreting the world through our emotions. And so if we don't pay attention, if we don't examine these beliefs, they're subconsciously driving the show. And so 60% of flow consciousness is doing the inner work to really, really deeply go in at the mental, emotional, energetic, and physical level to reprogram those beliefs and have those perceptual shifts so you can say, okay, what must I believe in order to be having this experience? And really do the work to reverse engineer and look at what's happening in your life to see where on some level your beliefs and perceptions are contributing to that. I think this is fascinating because then life can continue to roll as it wants to roll but you take those events of life, take them through your filters of your beliefs and see life as a different script. So the mold in the apartment is not life trying to suffocate me. It's life giving me a chance to go out and find a different place where I will thrive. And the reality is that most of the time, I always say there are three layers of misperception. One is you don't see the event at all, or the other is you see it through your value systems. And the third is that you see it limited by the time, limited by the amount of time you've seen it through. And you, you don't see the rest of the story, what will happen in a month's time and in two months' time and in 10 years' time as a result of that story. And all of those basically make us think of life just as we want to think of life, not as life is. And if you reprogram that, everything changes. 
I wish we can continue to talk on this, but I have to go back to one point you said at the beginning, maybe in the remaining few minutes we have. When you met your business partner to establish the Flow Consciousness Institute, you said this was a divinely orchestrated event. Divinely orchestrated is something that is contested in many parts of the world today. First, the idea of divine, and the second, the idea of orchestration. What do you have to say for that young lady? I love that you brought that up because I was finding a way to work that back in because it is an exquisite example of everything that we're talking about here. So again, I was on this flow journey and coming up with these tools and frameworks and and figuring this out on my own. And this wasn't something that I set out consciously to do. I was just following my curiosity, following the thread of my excitement, and life was just unfolding. If I look back now at everything that had to happen in order for this to come together, it's nothing short of remarkable. I mean, going back to when I was going to coach on this tech incubator in Chile, prior to that, I turned down investment for an autism clinic that I had been visioning for six years or more. This was my dream, my biggest dream. And it was handed to me on a silver platter. My intuition told me it was a no. And I chose to go coach on this tech incubator for three months where I wasn't going to get paid. So I had to say no to the thing that on paper looked like everything that I wanted in order to say yes to the thing that didn't make any sense. Because our intuition, it doesn't make sense. It's often illogical. But I knew that that's what I needed to do. What I didn't know is that I was going to have this experience with these engineers that would stimulate this idea of flow, that would send me on this journey, you know, as I was traveling around the world doing this research and putting this framework together, where then a woman that I'd met, or I actually never met, I connected with her years before in a raw food group that I was on this healing journey to healing my autoimmune condition through raw foods, she reached out to me asking to take me for a coffee in New York. She saw I was going to be in New York. And I was, again, nomadic at the time, traveling around the world. And for some reason, I knew I needed to say yes to this woman. Again, trusting my intuition, even though it didn't make sense because I was so busy when I was in New York, because that's where all my friends and family were, that I didn't know logically why I was going to meet this woman. But when I did and I started sharing about flow, she said, you need to meet my coach, Justin, who teaches the same things that you do. And when Justin and I got on a call, it was really wild. He's like, well, how did you come to this? And I was like, how did you come to this? We were teaching such similar things, but from totally different paths that we knew we needed to meet. And I was going to be driving up the coast of California. He lives in Santa Barbara. And I was going to be passing through on my way to San Francisco. And I said, hey, we should meet and just drop in and have dinner and see where the synergy is. When I got to Santa Barbara, I was doubled over in pain. I needed to go to the emergency room. And I ended up hospitalized for five days with an umbilical infection. And the doctors were like, I've never seen this in an adult. This is super weird the percentage of having this type of infection was so low and so random. But because I spent five days strapped to a hospital bed, whereas being fully nomadic, I was just moving from one city to the next. 
I didn't know anyone in Santa Barbara. Justin and his girlfriend came every day to spend time with me. And because we spent that time together, there was such soul recognition and it just incredible resonance. We knew we needed to do this work together. And two months later, we created this flow consciousness methodology together and did our first workshop in Costa Rica and have taught it in 17 countries ever since. And so it was, it was not something that I consciously set out to do or create. I never thought, oh, I really want to be this personal development speaker, or spiritual teacher, whatever you want to call it. It all unfolded organically, just following intuition, following curiosity and excitement. And, you know, it's like, had I not said yes to this coffee to meet this woman, who knows where we'd be? Had I not ended up in the hospital, who knows where we'd be? You know, there's so many things that looking back had to happen in order for this all to come together. So the mathematics of it basically say that this is not random, but that doesn't say that this is divine orchestration. I mean, that's just my belief. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. It's my belief too, by the way. I would have to say, I believe that we are on this planet for a reason. And that when we resist to follow that reason, life nudges us. Life puts us in a hospital bed and say, wait here, wait here. I need you to be here. And you're so freaking stubborn. So I'm just <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna give you an infection, sit here and something will happen. And you know, in my understanding of flow, and I'm not the master of flow, I'm a freaking engineer, I'm a mathematician. I like everything to be perfectly planned and meticulously thought through. And the reality is some of the best things that ever happened to me in my life were completely the opposites of my plan. And I wonder if others can learn that too, to flow when life seems to be not exactly what we want, because maybe it's what we should be. Well, I say for people that are resistant to that, then just try it on, you know, and see if it feels different. You don't have to entirely believe it, but just see, because I ended up having to go in for another surgery after the first one. And I remember telling the anesthesiologist that I wanted him to program in affirmations about my healing as I was going unconscious. And I told him to read these affirmations that my mind and body are resilient and I'm healing at record pace and all of these things. And my doctor had a sense of humor and he wrote his initials on, on my belly and, um, <laughs> you know, we had a good laugh. And I told them, I was like, look, the last time I was here, I ended up with a best friend and a business partner. So I wonder what magic awaits on the other side of this. and. We know from Dr. Bruce Lipton and other doctors that talk about how strong the body-mind connection is and how our thoughts influence our cellular functioning and how stress creates this negative reaction in our body and releases cortisol and adrenaline and is actually more detrimental to our healing. So imagine me coming out of the second surgery how different it would have been if I was in resistance to it. Like this shouldn't be happening. There's something wrong with my body and fighting it the whole way. And I actually had to go back for an ultrasound after. And the doctor was like, wow, you're healing really fast. And so I got that reflection. I was like, thank you. That knowing that my mindset, 
my perception, whether it's true or not, doesn't really matter. It's the impact that it has on how I show up and the impact that it has on my stress levels and my emotional well-being because I'm choosing to see it that way. Whether it's divinely orchestrated or not, who cares? It's just, just the way life works. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many experiences that I've had that are like that. It's like, what are the chances? And so when you're living in flow consciousness, the number of synchronicities you experience that are, you know, just defy mathematics. For example, I live in LA and I was going to an event one day and I took a shared Uber because sometimes I like to play with an engineer synchronicity and just for fun, you know, I love connecting with people. And so I took this shared Uber and on the way back, the same person was in it. No way. The same girl was in my Uber on both rides. Mathematically impossible. In Los Angeles on the same day. And I was like, why is this girl staring at me? And she's like, I think you were in my Uber this morning. And I looked at her. I was like, oh, whoa. So then I got curious. I'm like, okay, well, if this is mathematically impossible or, you know, highly improbable statistically. It's close to impossible, yes, statistically. Why is this happening? So we get to look and pay attention to how interconnected everything is in life and get curious. Like, why am I seeing this? Why is this showing up? So we were exploring like, okay, who are you and why are we connecting in this way? Why would you be in the same car as me twice in one day when it's statistically impossible? And then life just feels fun and magical. Exactly. And isn't that what it's all about? I think the word to leave everyone with here is you will never know what magic awaits. If you just take every, every magical moment in your life and go like, all right, you want me to go to the right life? Let me see if I can play with this and see where life takes me. I will tell you, today was a very long day for me at work. I was like, ah, do I really have to call Jackie today for this <laughs> podcast? But you know what? My intuition said I should. Mm. And it was magical. And I'm really, really grateful for your time, Jackie. This was wonderful. I'm glad that you trusted that. And I too, like I shared, have been in it this week. And so there's a lot of other places and spaces that both of us could have been in, but you know, it was compelling to be here. And I'm glad that we did. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for MoGaudet, SlowMo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy. <laughs>